Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I got to tell you right now, I'm not wearing any pants. All right. Well, that's uh, that's Douglas Soltis, everybody. hey Um, well, this is week four of SyrupCast, and uh, I just want to welcome you to the first, last, and only line of defense against the worst scum of the universe. My favorite line from uh, a Will Smith song. <laughs> oh no! I'm hearing your voice in my head again. Uh, I believe you're contractually obligated to. That's right, but I was actually hearing your voice in my head when you weren't talking, which means that I'm not crazy, it just means that the Hangout started playing in another window. So, um, we are on week four of SyrupCast, and uh, this week was a little bit of a mishmash compared to last week where we focused primarily on Google I.O. We had a great discussion on Google I.O., we got some good feedback from you guys. Uh, the one piece of feedback that we keep getting is, your audio quality is terrible, Daniel, and you're ugly. Uh, I can do, uh, I can do something about the first one. Unfortunately, I can't do anything about the second. So this week we're going to try something new. Please tell us if it works. Uh, this week we're also going to focus on a couple regulatory announcements. The first one being the AWS three auction, which was announced on Monday, and uh, we'll get to why that's a big deal and why that could mean big things for your uh, wallet, or rather, uh, fewer things for your wallet, if uh, if you want to go that way. Uh, we're also going to talk about um, the launch of Spotify in Canada, which seems to be inevitable, or uh, rather, it seems to be uh, imminent. coming imminent. That's the word I used in the title. Thank you. Uh, it comes. It's, it's going to be coming soon. I've actually figured out a way to uh, sign up for it as a Canadian, and I'll give you some hints as to how you can get there. Uh, it looks like it's a good service, and uh, we'll be a nice contrast to uh, Google Play Music and RDO and that. And we're also going to talk about BlackBerry shutting down Scoreloop. Now, this is their gaming service uh, that they were trying to integrate into a bunch of their native games. Why is that a big deal? Uh, and then we're going to talk about driving while texting or texting while driving, because most people actually do more of one than the other uh, when you're in high school. And uh, then we'll go into our first app roundup. Now, this is what I'm excited about because we haven't really touched on apps yet. We haven't talked about what we like. And as you know, we are gamers. We are uh, app users. We love devices. So we're going to get into that a bit later on. Uh, and then finally, we're going to talk about the LG G3 that was announced uh, coming to Canada on August 1st. And I have a demo unit in my hand. Uh, not right now. You can see. No, no phones in my hand. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. So, Doug, what's up? Uh, I got to say that 
four weeks is the longest summer relationship I've ever had. So I'm feeling pretty good about this. Have you noticed that we're uh, Christmas today? Oh, we are Christmas. Christmas in July. Yeah. All right. Well, that's actually a good way to uh, to begin. So let's talk about the summer. The summer is usually a pretty boring time for wireless. There's really no announcements uh, to speak of. But this week was actually quite interesting because uh, over the weekend, Minister, uh, James, Minister of Industry James Moore said that he had a big announcement for Monday morning. Now, I went to a, a wedding of a mutual friend, and uh, so did you. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, on the Sunday night, and I was not looking forward to having to get up early on the Monday morning to oh. cover this, but uh, I did, and I and I wrote about how the government will be uh, auctioning off another piece of the AWS spectrum, dubbed AWS three, mm-hmm. uh, and this is this is a, a complement to what was auctioned off in two thousand and eight, which inevitably w- led to the creation of wind and mobilicity and public mobile and. We know that that didn't exactly go as planned, but this auction is also going to appeal to those smaller guys, but it has a few stipulations. Now, the total block is 50 megahertz, which means that they're going to be giving uh, a few carriers an opportunity to buy uh, blocks of spectrum in every region of the country. But they're setting aside 30 megahertz for existing operators that have less than 10% national share or less than 20% regional share uh, in every region that they operate. So what that means is that wind can only, uh, they can only bid for the set-aside spectrum in Ontario, uh, Alberta, and British Columbia, whereas Videotron can only uh, auction, they can only purchase the spectrum in Quebec. Uh, so let's talk about that. What 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 do you think about this? Do you think that uh, this will lead to the competition that uh, we all want so badly? Um, I don't understand the reasoning behind. I understand the reasoning behind maybe uh, earmarking certain pieces of spectrum to allow um, the smaller carriers to kind of expand their coverage regionally, but I don't know why that um, then precludes them from auctioning for the other spectrum blocks as well if if they had that intent it, it seems I, I don't know if it's an example of the government maybe looking to appease like you know, we have this story up where bell said that, that they want a, a level playing field which is the most incredible thing the carrier can say <laughs> um I, I i just i think maybe it's the canadian government trying to appeal uh to specific interests and i'm not sure if it's going to play out similar to the previous auction, um, the way that anyone anticipates or is hoping for, at least in terms of you know actual competition. Yeah, I think that's that's important to note because the the idea of actual competition is kind of the specter in Canada. We don't really know what it means yet because some provinces do have what we consider to be uh, real competition. Even in Ontario, in places like Thunder Bay, where T-Baytel operates, Rogers has significant discounts on their higher plans. Shout out to T-Bay. <laughs> What's up? So, I don't know. I mean, SaskTel, MTS, these are all carriers that, uh, that, that don't have less than 10% market share in their specific region. So they're not actually eligible to uh, bid on the set-aside spectrum. It basically means that Mobilicity who is on death's door, 
Wind and uh, Videotron are are the only ones, and East East Link in 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 the East in uh, the Maritimes as well. But all the other new entrants or ones that uh, are, are considered regional carriers aren't allowed to bid on this. Now, what it means though is that the government is trying to consolidate the uh, smaller carriers before this auction happens because they essentially. In order for Videotron or Quebec or Videotron's parent company to bid on the set-aside spectrum in Ontario and British Columbia and Alberta, they actually need to operate here. They're not going to just roll out some random service and say, oh yeah, now we operate. They're going to think very hard about whether they they should buy wind or mobility mm-hmm. or both. Now that is basically what everybody's saying, that that's what the government sh- is trying to get them to do. And I think that's true. I think that it would make sense... For before this auction happens, wind and mobility to merge and or be bought by Quebec or who has repeatedly said that they want to enter new new uh, regions. Yeah, well, so I'm not the biggest free market guy, but it seems so guided in its intentions. Like what what is when, when you're limiting the amount of auction participants to such a small amount, it's not really an auction. You're literally just. It's it's like that eBay sale <laughs> that you find out about a day late. It's like you are you cannot get that thing that you want at the price that you want. And it, it towards pushing towards consolidation. While I feel that that might be uh, a benefit to consumers eventually, if uh, like some sort of wind videotron Voltron, a, a video wind Voltron uh, takes place. <laughs> There should be an opportunity for for other entrants to to pick up, or for SAS sale to pick up more spec. Like it, there should be uh, a more level playing field, at least in terms of uh, possibilities, rather than having the Canadian government steer this so directly. Especially when you see the competition is happening um, at the lower tier, but not at amongst the big three. Well, here's the thing. So. They are able to bid on, on, on the spectrum. Sastel can bid on the spectrum. Uh, they just have to bid on the, on the 20 megahertz that is not set aside for new entrants in each region. Now we don't know specifically because if there's no entrant, if there's no new entrant, uh, sorry, if, if there's no smaller carrier with less than 10% national or 20% regional share in those regions, then presumably there's no set-aside spectrum. So Sastel is just then going to be bidding against Rogers, Bell, and Telus in that yeah. area. And they're, and Bell and Telus have nothing to do with Sas- Saskatchewan, so it's basically going to be Sastel picking up half and Rogers picking up the other half. Or They're dividing it into 30 and 20 for a total of 50. Um, what we don't know yet is whether they're going to break it down into, into separate blocks. So what it could be is that for the 20 megahertz uh the the 20 megahertz that's nationally available it's probably going to be a 2 by 10 uh which means that uh, it's it's a block of paired spectrum uh in 10 megahertz sizes and then for the other one for the 30 megahertz the government said that it's going to be a single block which means that it'll be either 2 by 5 and 2 by 10 or 1 by 15 or 2 by 15 which is probably not going to happen because um that just makes it very difficult for for the smaller entrants to uh, divide it amongst themselves. If two of them want to bid, it's going to be very difficult. And the government wants 
these companies to pick up the spectrum at bargain basement prices. That's why they're setting it aside where, you know, wind is basically the only carrier in Ontario, British Columbia and Alberta who is even allowed to bid on that spectrum right now. So this is an, it's an interesting, you know, conundrum that the government has to figure out before next year when they start this auction. Yeah, and it, you know, we, there might be something we're missing here in terms of uh, procedure, where uh, they're covering their bases and, and saying that they were they were able to control this when really they know it's going to end up being a free for all if there's uh, you know not, no opportunities for purchase. But I j- it, it just kind of it, it smells like a, they're overthinking it slightly. Um, I, but I, I guess we'll just, we'll see in the run up to the auction um, how each each kind of uh, carrier potential auctioneer responds to really know if, if this is going the way that the government wanted or if it's turning into something else entirely. But it was, it was interesting to see, you know, uh, Bell get right out in front. It'll be in, it, also interesting to see how someone like Rogers responds. Well, Bell always does this. Whenever there's um, some advantage given to the new entrance by the government, which it has to be said has been the government's tack for the last year or so, ever since they committed to having a fourth national carrier in every region. They need this. They have to try to come through with their mandate to provide a fourth carrier and therefore competition. The problem is that when wind inevitably does pick up this spectrum, they're going to have a big decision on their hands because, okay, the spectrum is not going to be nearly as expensive as it would have been in the 700 megahertz range. So mm-hmm. they're going to be able to buy it very cheaply, which means that let's assume that wind picks up at least 20 megahertz of this 30 megahertz set aside spectrum. They're going to then use it to launch LTE. Now, what happens when wind has LTE? How do they then come out to the market and say, okay, we now have unlimited LTE plans in Ontario, Quebec, or Ontario, British Columbia, Alberta, and then presumably when the government starts regulating domestic roaming rates, they're saying, okay, now when you're out of our home area, you can then roam on Rogers 3G yeah. and not have a terrible experience when you're in Thunder Bay, which we don't offer service, uh, but Rogers does. And by the way, you spend 20 bucks a month extra and we're going to give you unlimited 3G in those areas. That makes wind a a very compelling alternative for the first time since they came out since rogers bell and telus launched their respective lte networks this is the first time wind would be able to come out and say we offer the same product free than you uh as you rather on a national level or at least a sort of pseudo roaming national level and uh we're going to charge half what you guys are charging booyah like do you yeah. think that's enough for people to go and, and switch? No, and I get it. And the obvious uh, corollary is to say T-Mobile's troubles to expand um, in the United States. And this is essentially the where the Canadian government can come in. And like, you know, I like the mandate for a fourth national carrier. I also just think that, you know, if if that, if the, if the procedure through which they try to do that also hurts, you know, uh, the strong regional carriers that Canadians are happy with because they don't want to touch the big three or maybe uh, a, a fourth national, then, you know, that's that's kind of disappointing. But the the example that you laid out is 
compelling and would be useful <laughs> across Canada. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about um, my experience opening up my my Rogers bill this week because oh, I, I've yeah. spoken to you about this, and uh, I I have a legacy plan and I share um, I share my account with uh, with uh, one of my parents and. I looked at our bills and my value pack, which is again a legacy, uh, a legacy product, yes. went up by a dollar, mm-hmm. and uh, my parents' legacy pack went up by a dollar thirty. And I'm wondering what the hell happened because I didn't see any uh, any indication of this. So I reached out to Rogers Customer Support, and they told me that it would have been in my April bill. So this is my June bill or my July bill it would have been at the end of my April bill. I checked and sure enough, on like page 10 of my page of 17 page bill, uh, it's there saying your value packs will increase by a dollar. Uh, if you, you know, this is in order to provide continued good service. And if you don't like it, switch to our share everything plan. That's basically what Rogers is saying. Now we reported on the fact that, for those outside, or for the for those on a month to month contract with legacy six gig data plans, that will increase from from thirty dollars to thirty five dollars. Mm-hmm. These are all ways that Rogers is trying to say we're going to increase your bill just enough every month, even if it's in contract, because I'm in contract. They increase my value pack by a dollar, even though I still have a year left on my three year contract. Yeah. We want you to switch, and we're going to make it just annoying enough and just expensive enough that you need to switch over. That really irked me because it's not a. It doesn't matter about the extra twelve dollars a year. It's the fact that they increase the price of my contract bill mm-hmm. by a dollar every month without me doing anything. I didn't actually. I, I didn't agree to this, but in the contract, there's a clause that says they can increase the price of certain parts of your plan. If they tell you about it. Yes. So, and, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things here. First, just the, the basic process of the way that they went to inform you. Like, you know, the, yes, they put it on your bill. They buried it there. Usually people check the, uh, the bill amount. And if there's no discrepancies there, they don't read the rest of the bill. Because if it's in line with what they're paying, they just pay the bill. Uh, second of all, in that, in that time um, that they were putting information buried in your bill, how many Rogers Connected emails were they sending you directly to your email address? <laughs> Um, so th- there's that, which is, you know, the, the regular kind of procedural BS, which is annoying and disappointing and, uh, wins no favors with customers or any sort of loyalty and retention. Uh, the, the second thing is that the biggest misconception with, um, carrier contracts in Canada is that the contract is in any way for the plan that you have. It's not. It's all about the device and the device subsidy. They can do whatever they want to your plan in a variety of different ways, um, which I, I think is the most disappointing thing because most Canadians go into um, a contract with a carrier with the expectation that, that that is kind of a package deal. Like I'm signing up for this plan for three years and I get this device at this subsidized price. And it's, it's not that at all. It's the other way around. Um and I, I think it's I think it's terrible. And going back to the previous conversation that we had, that if if wind becomes a more viable option, I'm I'm more than happy to switch, uh, and hope that they do not pursue similar tactics because it's you know 
there's got to there's a better way than this and the 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 carriers that we have now at a national level don't have much of an interest in pursuing that way and it you know first train out I'm on it <laughs> well let's you know what's what's so interesting is that with the and this is a topic for another day because we could talk about this for a long time but I'm just going to say with the share plans that got implemented with the two year contracts last year a lot of what you're talking about actually happened. So um, when you sign a contract now, you're not actually signing a contract for the phone anymore. You are signing it for the plan. Mm -hmm. uh, you're buying a phone that's been subsidized, but all you need to do if you want to leave is pay the, the remaining subsidy, which is different than when, when you and I signed contracts on three-year terms because we then had to pay a um, an early termination fee and then a device early termination fee, and they were often way more than the price of the of the phone itself. Now you just pay back the phone price and you can leave because the government's wireless code of conduct says that the entire amount of the device has to be paid off within 24 months. So the, they can't screw you. They can't they can't charge you. Um, early termination fees that are beyond the price of the phone, the the actual price of your plan has to be what's said on the contract itself. There's no hidden fees. I mean, the actual plans are way better today. They're just way more expensive as a result. So when your plan says that you're paying $60 for a, an unlimited unlimited talk, text, and... and uh, and messaging plan, and then you add six gigs of data for $65 mm -hmm. that could be shared amongst 10 different accounts, that's actually what you're going to be paying. You're going to be paying $125 plus tax in whatever in whatever province that you are in, and you know that that's the price at the end of the day every month. But that's still way higher than most people, um, you know, trying to nickel and dime on a three-year contract. So, you know, that's, that's the... That's the Try terrible to, part. It's not, it's not nickeling and diming when we have some of the most expensive plans in the known world. <laughs> so the, yeah, the difference there is also just, so I, I get that. I get that, you know, Canadians signing a contract today have a, have a simpler experience. But as, as we discussed before, uh, on the podcast, the way that Rogers is treating legacy customers on existing contracts, to get them to that place. Um, after making the decision, okay, the government mandated um, a simpler, more basic solution to, to make plans more understandable, make the, the carrier more accountable to the agreement signed. For them to say, okay, well, the price for that is us to increase the, the cost for like a similar experience by 25% leaves me no more excited. <laughs> No, no, but the thing is that they can't increase, they, they can't just uh, arbitrarily increase the price during a contract now. So what they're doing is, and the, Rogers is not alone in this. Bell has done this as well, yeah. where they've increased the price of grandfathered plans without informing customers or at least burying it in their bill. Yeah. And we are none the wiser. I mean, it took me, I do this for a living, yeah. and it took me two months to realize this. Um, because I just like most people pay my Rogers bill. If I see, cause I have, I have television, I have internet, I have an, a, a bunch of phone numbers. My bill is like a billion dollars a month. 
I don't check the minutiae. I just like, fine, Rogers, if you want my firstborn, take my firstborn. I want to use my phone. That's kind of the way that most people view their Rogers bills. And, you know, I don't want to have to go through it every month with a fine-tooth comb to see where they're screwing me. I am an optimist. I believe that when they say that they're charging me $80 a month for my plan, that's what I'm going to be charged. And uh, unfortunately, I can't rely on that anymore because I'm going to have to go back next month and see, okay, well, did they increase this part of my plan? Did they increase another part? Uh, you know, is my brother being screwed now? Like, yep. let's let, let's yep. talk and about this. No one wants an itemized list of the ways in which they're getting boned over. So I, I think, you know, but what you're articulating beyond beyond the minutia of the deals, the plans, the changes in the laws, the biggest problem with this industry in Canada is the fundamental relationship between the customer and the carrier is is one of complete and utter distaste for each other. And <laughs> uh, until like no seriously, you're absolutely Rogers, right. Like these carriers would love to be able to just not deal with customers. And people in Canada, if they could have a phone in any other way and a working plan, would do it in a heartbeat. This is not the way it operates in other places in the world. So let's this is let's not. let's so, say we're going to earmark this as a future podcast. We're going to spend the entire podcast talking about plans versus unlocked phones because the Moto E and the Moto G sold unlocked at a, comp- a store like Staples allows you to go to any carrier and negotiate price. I mean, let's talk about whether that's actually a viable option to save money. For now, though. We've already spent half an hour talking about this, yes. and we're not even halfway through our news. Yeah. Let's talk about Spotify. Spotify yeah. has... Happy news. <laughs> happy news. Let's talk about spending our money on things that we actually want to spend money on. Spotify is coming to Canada. It's launching soon. They've been recruiting testers for their pl- for their service. Uh, are you excited? Uh, do we need Spotify now that we have Google Play Music and RDO and Slacker and whatever other services that, you know, like Songza, SoundCloud, things like that, do you think people are going to flock to Spotify in 2014? I, I, I don't know if flock's the word, but I think it's really, it makes me happy and exciting. We were just talking about this maybe two weeks ago in a tete-a-tete where I was, right after the Amazon Fire Phone announcement, I was just really disappointed with the, the current state of Canadian access to U.S. streaming services, right? So... The fact that right after that, Spotify is like just on the verge of becoming available and is kind of available right now if you know how to grease the wheel. Uh, I think I think it's important because you know beyond beyond access to say like Google Play services and things like that from a mobile perspective, you know Spotify is used all over the internet. It's mm-hmm. it's it's like kind of like the default uh, if you're if you're on a blog or a website and they're they're like putting together uh, playlists and things like that. They're they're using like Spotify. It, it's around. It's there. So to have that kind of door opened is 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 good. It's huge. It's hopefully you know, I don't know if it, the other companies will see it and be like, oh, hey, they were able to finally get it because it took them what like four years, three years for it to happen. Two, well, they they said that they were coming to Canada initially in August of 2012. So it's it's been about two years. Okay. So. Um, Yes, it's 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 just it's just generally good news. I think I think people are going to use it or they're going to give it a try because they for a, a while now they've they've known about it. Canadians have known about it and not been able to, to try it. So I think I think they're going to 
at least at least play with it and see if it's something that they they want to use long term. Yeah, so I was able to, as you say, grease the wheel and figure out how to sign up. I already had a U.S. Spotify account, so this is basically what you need to do. Um, and I'll be doing a. I'll be putting together a how-to on, on, on how to do this. But you do need to sign up currently or have a, an existing U.S. Spotify account. And you can go in, you can change some HTML and think, make it think that you are in Canada. Because they're not accepting new registrants in Canada right now, but their back end is already to accept Canadian credit cards. And there's a Spotify Canada service already launched, but it just doesn't show to the end user right now. So you basically have to go in and change some HTML. And I'll, I'll show you that in a bit. But what it means is that Spotify is now the big player in, an indus- in, a, in a Canadian market that's already pretty saturated with great choice. We have RDO, which is an amazing product. I use that every day. Uh, Google Play Music is also a, a, a wonderful alternative. And it's available, you know, on built into Android. Every Android phone comes with Play Music already installed. Uh, we have Slacker, which has been around forever. Mm-hmm. We have iTunes, but not iTunes Radio. Uh, we have... Um, Deezer? What else do we have? We have Deezer. So, yeah, that's actually a good seg. So, Deezer is the biggest, or was the biggest, uh, streaming music service in the world. Uh, they have 5 million users. Spotify has more. But for a while, Deezer was was the top dog. It's based out in France. It's got a great interface. It's really smooth. It's got all the features. It's got more songs than RDO. And I think Spotify, but maybe... I think they both say that there's 30 million available. But Deezer actually just closed down their Canadian offices this week. And that's in big contrast to um, to Spotify launching here. Even though, of course, they're not going to launch a local office. I think it, it speaks to the fact that it's very difficult to launch a streaming music service in Canada especially when you rely on ads. Now, um, you know, localized content is important to Canadians. We want French content. We have to have, when there's a a radio component, you have to have some uh, Canadian, 35% Canadian content. I don't know if that applies to streaming music, radio, streaming, uh, like online streaming radio, but uh, nonetheless, um, Spotify said that they want to cater their service to the Canadian market, which is why they're rolling it out slowly over the next few months. Yeah, I think it's... It, it, the Deezer thing demonstrates maybe how difficult it is, um, or, or, or the cost of, you know, negotiating these licensing deals in Canada, um, it, with the hampering of probably, uh, CRTC regulations plus just the, the competition, right? Like, uh, I don't, I don't think people should take this as a sign of, of Deezer going anywhere. I think it's probably a sign of them looking to, uh, save some money and some hassle of having people on the ground in Canada. Um, yeah, yeah. More than anything. But, you know, let's, let's, let's stay positive with this. It's, it's cool. Spotify is here. More competition, more choice. I buy vinyl albums and then download the songs digitally. So I'm not the target market for any of this because <laughs> I'm old. But, uh. Yeah, you are this, you, you're the true Toronto hipster though. I mean, like that's, we, we reported on this a couple of weeks ago. The U.S. Yes, you are. In the U.S., the only growing segments of the music industry are streaming and vinyl. Yes. Vinyl grew by 40% year over year between mid-2013 and mid-2014 to 4 million albums sold. Like, that's not a lot compared to CDs, which are 52 million. And there are 70, there were 
some 70 billion audio streams or 70 yes, billion but the, streams. The big thing is, so you look at um, the the numbers this year, though, for any album that sold over 500,000. It's, it's literally the long tail of music. People aren't going like, oh, I need that new Beyonce jam on vinyl. Let me go out and get that. They're buying everything else. Any mm-hmm. any piece of music that matters to them or they want to have a tangible experience with or is presented uh, at the the front station of an Urban Outfitters is getting bought in droves. So, you know... I just, I just want to point this out. This is my favorite LP. This is wow. Father John Misty's... Um, uh, what's it called? Fear Fun. It is absolutely amazing. And it's it's all like he's done all of this basically himself and designed it. Uh, there's a, an amazing lyric sheet in this. This is why people buy vinyl because it's still not only a tactile experience in a way that the CD will never be, but the the great vinyl releases are the ones that people actually take the effort to to personalize and to inject some of their personality into and to award, I mean, yeah, I got the digital downloads on this. Every vinyl comes with MP3s these days, but it's the added stuff. It's like the DVD box set equivalents, you know? Yeah, and so I bet you remember exactly when you purchased that and and where, and no one will ever remember, like, oh, yeah, I remember in 2013 I streamed that album. It was really awesome. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're into weird Syrupcast right now. This is like Syrupcast After Dark. Um, there, I, I would love, I would love to see some comments on the post for this podcast of how many of our readers, uh, <laughs> either just like, listen to vinyl or care about vinyl or just like, guys, you need, you need to cut this down. Got to stop talking about the vinyl. Um, totally. or we could start a new vinyl podcast, but yes. um, <laughs> we should, so post a comment and let us know, but we should, we should keep this train moving because there's, there's still a bit of news before we want to get to some apps. And, uh, we talked about the LG G3, um, last week so i really want to hear your impressions on it now that you got a device yeah so i've been using it for uh, a while and i think that it's you know it's a great looking device i think that it's way nicer than the g2 it looks let me, let me... it looks way nicer in person than the photos and the renders that we had seen like right. it, it, so... it the tangible like build it 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 looks it, it's got that prestige high-end, nice cut to it, you know? Just, but like, what's, the lines. What's most what's most interesting, though, is that, like, even though this isn't actually metal, it looks metal, but it also feels more metallic. The, the LG G2 was super slippery. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. this one is not as slippery. It's a little bit bigger, but the 5.5-inch display makes up for it. I do have a few issues with this, and... The main one is the screen. Now, everybody's talking about how rad the 2560 by uh, whatever screen resolution. Basically, it's 2K, quad HD. Mm-hmm. But there's some serious sharpening, artificial sharpening happening on this that you'll see in my review. It's really unfortunate. And I'm not sure why LG's doing it. I think that they're doing it because some content is not actually optimized for the mm-hmm. screen resolution. So they feel like they need to overcompensate with yeah. sharpening. The camera's amazing, the battery life's amazing, the actual OS is significantly better, but yeah, there's just something about that screen. Yeah, and you were saying it was really happening a lot um, when, say, a menu option would pop up and then you had things in the background that were kind of weirdly aliased. Um, I I think, you know, when, when we were playing around with the phone, 
uh, while drinking at a wedding, both Ian and I were like, wow, that is a pretty screen. That looks great. Uh, mm-hmm. and you were very firm in your stance that, uh, there was, it was, it had grown to frustrate you. Now, I, I think that's the difference between, uh, an initial first impression of a phone and long-term use, and you really get to see the character come out. But I, I do think that if the, the issues with the screen are because some of the assets aren't currently, uh, high, high res, and there's, there's a bit of a, a friction there, that's mm-hmm. in the long term probably a benefit for a G3 user because it means, you know, they, they push themselves to that high end to kind of future proof your phone a little bit. Cause when, okay. when those assets get updated, that screen's gonna, gonna look, uh, just as good. It's, it's, it's like the first people that buy a 4K TV. At a certain point, you're gonna accept that any, like, if, if you're getting a non HD, like not even a, a non 4K piece of content, if you're getting like a non HD piece of content, it's gonna look absolutely terrible. But you know that you're, you're buying something for the long haul, so. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, yeah, I, 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 I still thought it was, I thought it looked, I thought it looked great, but you've had spent more time with it. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I don't, although I don't believe that buying a 4K TV today to future-proof you for when content comes out is a good buying strategy. Instead, no, it's, a, it's actually a terrible a, analogy. <laughs> it's changing all the time. But I, but I get what you're saying because Android is changing quicker than you know. Android when 1080p displays came out, there was still there were still issues with apps and some UI elements didn't look great. I mean the the initial. Um, what was it? The HTC, HTC came out with the first 1080p phone and I forget what it was called, but it was down in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some assets didn't look great either, but this is not that. This is something else. This is LG playing around with its screen. And, and, and what happened here, and Anon Shimpy did, um, Anon Tech did, it's, did the, uh, an amazing review, um, and he actually did benchmarks of the screen and found that there were a bunch of issues, not only with the color gamut, but with dynamics, uh, dynamic range, mm-hmm. with brightness, with viewing angles. This is just not LG's best screen. And that's because they're trying to pack as many pixels as they can into a tiny display. And it's a first generation 2K display. And they got 1080p down. I mean, the, I actually think that the 1080p display on the G2 is far better than the 2K display on the G3. In a, in a, in a robust kind of overall way? like Yes. Okay. In a usability way. In, a, in the sense that like sun, you know, sunlight viewability of the G3 is not that great because the backlight is just overpowered by the number of pixels. They had to lower overall brightness in order to compensate for the amount of battery that would be necessary to to light all of those pixels. Yeah. So, and it comes back to that theme that we've discussed before with, with new devices. It's, you know, the, the compromises and the choices that the manufacturers are willing to make to get, um, certain features to the forefront. And this might be an example of them taking a swing on something, which 
uh, makes a nice first impression and then over time becomes annoying. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, read Daniel's stuff on this to, to get a, a really good grasp of what the issues are. And then if you can, try to spend some hands-on time with the device before making a purchase decision because um, it, it, might, it might be simply a matter of, like, some people don't notice and some people, like, you know, you're certainly more finely attuned to this to, to see it. Or it might be the certain thing where, you know, two weeks in you have serious buyer's remorse because uh, the, the, the pretty screen turned out to be not so pretty. Yeah, so I know that I'm being critical, but that's what I Your do. Job. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> so I tend to be fairly positive about devices. I tend to rate them a bit higher than other sites. I, I don't tend to focus on those nitpicky type of things because if a device gives me a great experience, that's what I want. I don't really need to benchmark everything to see that the Galaxy S5 is 4% faster than the HTC One M8. That's not what I do because overall, I don't believe those to be important aspects of a phone today. Every yeah. single phone is insanely fast. Most phones have great cameras, but when HTC launched the One M8 with a 4 megapixel back camera, that's something you can't forgive. That's like, that's just uh, handicapping what is supposed to be a flagship phone. And I, I don't know if this is the case with the G3, but it might be. And and I'm going to spend some more time with it. A LG says, big disclaimer, pre-production, pre-production. It's not final software. It's not final hardware. So we'll see. Maybe they've improved it uh, for the August 1st release. Uh, so it's not that stupid to think that this is going to be one of the more exciting devices of the of the summer. But Doug, what is stupid? Texting <laughs> while driving. That it, is stupid. Yes. And this this is where we go total PSA. Um, this is the after school special. As two old dudes who have driver's licenses. Yes. And who, and who are too old to put up with other people's BS at this point. Especially way from too the old. Youngsons. Yeah. Well, we we are absolutely heartbroken at the uh, at the research that shows that like an insane number of children between grade 10 and grade 12 drive or text while driving. Like this is just an insane, insane story because like, why, why, why do this? Not to yourself, but to other people. Well, so having been that age once, I'm just disappointed that people that age are driving just period because they certainly don't dedicate their full attention to it. And I've certainly not experienced enough of life to, to recognize how quickly um, a lack of focus or attention or a bad decision can completely change the, the rest of your life. Um, I think this is, this is really an example of, you know, uh, a new generation of kids who, beyond even having a phone, which is, was to us at the time, like I'm, I'm sure like you, your first phone was probably post high school or at the end of high school, right? So you've yeah, grown was... up as a as a human being with a brain prior to doing this everywhere. Um, these kids are now. Uh, I have a uh, a niece who has a phone in like grade four. Yeah, so they're, they're 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 growing up with this this experience and this experience related to school. So their their phone and their communication is a primary concern. So when they're getting their first license, they're not even seeing a disconnect between. Um, driving a big metal um, death box, which is what it can be, and making sure that the IMs are going through. So 
it's you know our our new premier has uh come out and said that this is uh really concerning and i completely agree because it, it does not take much to to have terrible things happen no and and as somebody who was in a car accident last summer because an idiot was driving too fast didn't see the uh traffic on the dvp slowing and he screeched to a halt and he crashed into the back of my car almost totaling it um he was definitely i don't know if he was texting i'm not going to presume but what he what he was was 18 years old driving a car that had been just like customized to the nines mm-hmm. and if you put a lot of money and love into a car but you are driving way too fast on the highway and you don't slow down in time uh endangering other people including yourself like he thank god wasn't hurt but the entire experience just left me feeling really sad and not not for humanity or for young people but just for the fact that we are so easily distracted mm. in these huge death boxes as you say and you know this the study says that 45% of females um are likely to text while driving while 36% of males are likely to text while driving between grades 10 and 12 i mean that's a big deal especially because when you're in grade 20 grade 10 you likely don't even have your full license yet you have a learner's permit which yes. makes it even more illegal you're not to text even supposed you're driving. to drive around with uh friends i don't think you're supposed to always be driving with someone who has a full license at all right times. who's like, been driving for at least eight months with a g2 yeah. or a full g license yeah. so most most people in the gta can't drive around the gta because they're not allowed on certain highways like yeah. <laughs> um but so it's yeah, and we're so we're awesome right now because we're we're harshing on teenagers and talking about vinyl. So this is basically the oldest podcast of all time about mobile tech. Um, uh, the syrup has dried up, but, but it's it's really serious because not only because it's not even just about a, a youth generation thing. But I think the bigger thing is that uh, these people in cars, beyond the danger to themselves, can cause supreme danger to other people. Um, so in terms of you know proactively fighting this i'm i'm pretty hard line especially because if 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 it is because because older people do this too like we i I work for blackberry it's a company based upon mobile email a lot of people were commuting back and forth and doing things on their phones that they shouldn't until we we got hands-free visors and then all that communication could be there right so um i i would say that the best way to fight this especially for a young demographic to, to break that habit or that natural tendency to prioritize the phone communication over everything else which just happens to just include driving is super harsh first time charges there's no three strikes for this because you should never have three opportunities to be distracted while driving and really ruin someone's life so i would i would say like overnight like one day in jail for distracted driving (laughs) while texting like seriously scare scare them straight like this is this is way more serious than you're giving it credit to and we will you know, not forget the fine, take their phone away, prevent. <laughs> oh, here we go. The big three carriers would love this work with the carriers to throttle their data based upon uh, their driving points. Amazing. So we're talking about like super nanny state, uh, like basically 1984 stuff here. 
Um, let's let's punish the kids uh, by throttling their data. For so take the phone away. Use... Well, that's the parents' job. I but, have uh, two cats. I know nothing about parenting. I, this is probably a terrible idea. I just, I just know that it is a terrible <laughs> idea. But it, 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 it's actually it's one of those things that you know makes sense in the in the context of how do we prevent kids or people in general from driving and using their phones? You really can't. The two hundred and eighty dollar fine. You're not gonna. Most people aren't gonna get it. I mean, most people are pretty good at looking away when they see a cop and hiding their phones and the cops can't really see in the into the cars themselves and it's really hard to um to enforce so now just going back to like the io news and things like this is is this where you think uh carplay and is is it android drive i want to say the name of their android auto android auto that these solutions that provide enough um functionality so you don't need to be looking at your phone and that they're much more voice based mm-hmm. will you know maybe cut this off the pass by eliminating the, the the need or the the itch to be checking the phone um yeah i mean that's a that's a good point i think most of these are a carplay and android auto in addition to things like ford sync and a bunch of existing solutions are very voice oriented and i think they do a decent job you can say next track or uh call mom or whatever you want and they usually work fairly well the the issue is that if you're um if you're driving uh these solutions want to do everything on your behalf so they want to auto respond to your incoming texts or calls they want to read out your emails or your texts to you while you're driving mm-hmm. things like that that i don't know if people have grown accustomed to yet even if you're alone in a car the idea of having your text read out to you is not a prospect that i think a lot of people actually uh embrace so it's a matter of changing the it's a matter of of overcoming fomo or fear of missing out it's a matter of putting your phone away if you want to hear your text messages read to you because you need to know what's going on right this second that's great but the next thing you do is put it away turn it off and just don't use it that's what i'm saying but if you have to use your phone in the car at least make sure that you have some sort of app that um or driving setting at least that's going to be compatible with these future services like Android Auto or CarPlay. Um, so yeah, let's 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 move away from that. You you mentioned uh, BlackBerry. You mentioned working for BlackBerry. Uh, one of your one of your biggest criticisms this week was BlackBerry's announcement that it was shutting down ScoreLoop on December first. Tell us about ScoreLoop. What what is it, and why is it a bad idea that they're shutting it down? So. Scoreloop was another one of uh, black the one another acquisition that BlackBerry made to as it was trying to grow to be that all-encompassing Apple Google Microsoft consumer company to plug gaps in its support system to provide useful consumer services. So Scoreloop was a, a company that provided. Uh, basically a platform for developers who developed games uh, to kind of like plug and play uh, certain certain tools in there that they wouldn't have to build themselves. Things like scoreboards and things like that um, that could uh, easily be implemented and, and, and work uh, cross-platform, I believe. Uh, it was not a hugely expensive acquisition, but it, it, was, it was an acquisition that I think had the best of intentions and then didn't really end up 
going anywhere. And we're seeing now to, you know, I think it's just, it just demonstrates how dramatic of a shift uh, and a change in course BlackBerry has undertaken in even, even two years where um, in, in 2012, they were, I think this was 2012 that they acquired them. Um, well, even say three years ago, this was something that they were buying to ramp up to provide services for their uh, big BlackBerry 10 uh, launch because consumers were going to need this stuff and the games were going to be great. And um, actually, the gaming group at BlackBerry did a hell of a lot of work to make it really simple to get good games on there. Um, and now they just don't need it because so, they're 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 switching. They're not only there are they moving away from consumer development and most development in general. You know, they just they don't need these these platforms and tools because they're just going to put Android games in. So wait, are you just being like a, an old grump and just being like, well, in my day, BlackBerry wouldn't have done this, but like realistically, they didn't, no, I th- they I don't think need it. it. So, so, so that, the preface to that that I should have started with is, is it totally makes sense. And it's in line with all the decisions they've been making recently in this shift away. But I, I think, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, skeletons in the closet that kind of need to be cleared out, or or things things on the books that no longer make any sense that need to be shuttered. Like as you know, just even with with the Amazon announcement, you also saw that Google was going to be, uh, or sorry, BlackBerry was going to be closing their their music and video services, and we're working with seven digital who i believe is the company behind who provided that stuff to yeah to make that stuff still available so i i think this is them you know it's never for major companies doing undertaking a major strategic shift it's never a clean break so you're seeing you know this is the uh the leftovers of those decisions so i i think it, it totally makes sense um the company got the the guys that got sold they got paid uh, it's just, you know, what might have been. Right. That's that's totally fair. But what it says, it's no different than Google shutting down Google Reader or Yahoo shutting down not Zobni or one of those little use services that they acquired a few years ago that has run its course. They've integrated the staff into the company itself. And we're, uh, you know, now left with Oh, those I don't think they've people. integrated the staff. There was like 25 guys in Germany that they oh. bought for $60 million. I don't think that any of them are working there. At BlackBerry. Well, it's they laid off, like, they've laid off 5,000 people at least. So if they, you know, that makes sense. They've streamlined the company's operations. They've moved a lot of them out of Waterloo. They are now basically a company based out of New York and Silicon Valley. And as you said, like, that's that's a move that they that they needed to make. Yeah. Scoreloop was just one more weight bearing, you know, holding them back from being an enterprise company launching the BlackBerry Passport for enterprise users later this year. And I don't even know if it's a weight or it's it's just a cost. They're trying to cut every single cost possible, right? Um, So yeah, it makes sense. And it just, yeah, what what might have been? It's like looking at old photos of you and your first girlfriend from high school or something. Oh, but she was so pretty. She was so but now pretty. she's married to a senator. There was so much potential. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's. Um, there's a. You did a really, really, really great uh, kind of review slash first impression of Android Wear that everyone should read because um, not only because you 
laid out some really great impressions and kind of set the context for what Android Wear is versus uh, what it could be. I, th I think he really helped clarify some of the the information around what actually Android Wear can do, <laughs> because I, there, there, you know, there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of expectations of what a OS dedicated to wearables will be. And I think you really showed, you know, in 2014, right now, what that is for Android. So, do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, I'm not going to spend too long on it. Uh, the the biggest thing that I've taken away from Android Wear is that it's not a finished product. And I think that's what people have to take away from, from the review. The current hardware doesn't feel finished. The Gear Live is basically a Gear Neo or a Gear 2 Neo uh, with a different button. That's not a good thing. I don't think that this was a, a this form factor was not made in, with Android Wear in mind. Uh, the G-Watch is basically a technology demo. It's an ugly square black uh, screen, and it just doesn't feel comfortable. It's too thick. It isn't pretty, but it does have some amazing watch faces, whereas the Gear Live just has ugly ones. More than anything, though, and I don't think that this is me saying wait for the Moto 360, because I fear that this, that the, while the 360 itself will be far more attractive and look more like a traditional watch with a round face and, uh, you know, some improved watch faces and things like that, so I pretty. think it speaks so pretty. It is. It is very pretty. I like. I liked it, and I. I've seen it, and I've worn it. It's really nice. But Android Wear, it's missing a lot of things that even Pebble has uh, to its advantage. For example, you cannot review notifications. Uh, I love that about Pebble. And yes, of course, this is tied to Android. So you dismiss a notification on Android, it goes away on your Android Wear watch, and vice versa. But I don't necessarily want that. I want to be able to review the important notifications that I've seen. The second and more important thing is that it doesn't allow you to filter important notifications. You either ban the notifications of an entire app or you let everything through. That is not what I want on my wrist. I want to see uh, my texts from, from Doug, but not from, you know, Bill. Yeah, I don't care about Bill. Screw Bill. In a staggered notification system, it's it's kind of keeping you less informed because you're just deciding, you know, I have to make a choice. Do I want all or nothing? So now, it's, now instead of pulling out your phone to check to see what the noti notifications for, you're either getting nothing to your wrist, so way to spend $250, uh, or you're getting everything to your wrist, and it, you're, there's no there's no, there's no technical benefit there, there yet. Exactly. There's no advantage to having uh, that screen on your wrist anyway. But Google Now is very interesting, and it shows you important information sometimes, but more often than not, it shows me the score of a Blue Jays game rather than the transit directions of a streetcar that I'm waiting at right now. If I'm waiting for a streetcar and I want to know when it's coming, I want that information right now. I don't, I don't want to have to pull up my phone to look up that transit information and then have it pushed to my watch because then that's useless yeah. to me. It should be hard-coded into Android Wear that if you're standing at a transit stop and you're checking your wrist for the time, you're looking to see when the streetcar is coming. But so right, and that with this experience, though, and maybe you can talk a bit about also just even the difference between Google Apps and third-party apps because I know people have starting... There are Android Wear apps out there from third-party people and just the way that they're approaching things seems a little interesting. But the expectation is with this kind of unfinished platform that th these things are coming. It's not like 
Google doesn't know that this needs to happen. This is just, you know, SDK 1.0, right? Absolutely. And just like any, you know, early platform, there are some bugs to work out and some features that are incomplete. Look at the App Store back in 2008. It was sparsely populated, if at all. The Android, um, the Android market back when it launched was similarly terrible and the app quality was awful. What the, the way that Android Wear approaches apps is that existing developers can augment their current smartphone and tablet apps with Android Wear functionality. So it's not difficult to make a great Android Wear app. The problem is that there's no such thing as a great Android Wear app yet because most of it relies on voice or at least the information is so lightly, uh, it's, it's not dense enough. So you don't find out nearly as much information as you should. So for example, a weather app will show you, you know, today's weather and perhaps the next couple of days. That's interesting, but it's not super useful. The best apps are the ones that send you information in short snippets when you need to know it. Like when, uh, there's a one, one football Brazil app by, uh, a, a popular soccer startup that basically runs a Premier League app. So what they've done is they've launched a new app for the World Cup, and that will send you information on the latest goals scored, uh, fouls, anything like that. That's really interesting, but that's a very specific scenario that not everybody's going to want. So you have to, Google has to figure out, and developers also have to figure out, do they want to develop full apps on their, on, for their, for people's wrists, or is it something that they'll just use in order to make better their current Android apps. I don't know because it's interest it's it's more it's too difficult right now to access the apps themselves. It's buried in some menu and mostly what you're getting are cards pushed to you by Google or third-party apps, but few of the cards are useful enough to justify um keeping on your wrist at all times. So yeah. So so we'll see. that it seems like you know you can have I, it sounds like the ceiling is too low on Android Wear right now, where that even an, a great Android Wear app actually isn't a great app. Or right, like there's no such thing as a great Android Wear app because the, the platform doesn't know how to treat apps yet. Yeah. There are three different ways that developers can interact with, with users' wrists, and they haven't figured out the best ways to do that yet. So it's a work in progress. I think that Android Wear is interesting. I don't think that it's extremely useful right now. The hardware is not there yet. I don't recommend buying a watch until the Moto 360 comes out. So if well, you cons- have a watch on your wrist... It, right? Because we, we still don't know the final information on the 360, but it definitely seems like the most compelling experience or opportunity for you to have something really cool on your wrist. But And just going back to it, because we've talked before about Android or Google being like really hard line about curating the Android Wear experience so as to kind of create, you know, taking lessons learned from the, the Android rollout and really locking down what can be modified. But we've already seen, uh, we've had some conversations on Twitter with just people are trying to root this thing, customize it, make changes. And we both say that we like agree that there should be one Android Wear experience. Yeah, I, I have a, a big issue with people customizing Android Wear because Google is trying to keep it so locked down. But at the same time, the fact that they you can you know fast boot OEM unlock these watches the way you can a Nexus device means that clearly it's based on Android it's open source it's always well the, not the code itself but the SDK 
is available to developers, but the watches are tinkerable. It's, they're not as open as a Nexus device, but Google didn't lock it down the way that carriers often lock down devices. So clearly they're not against rooting and launch, you know, running custom ROMs on these, on these watches. I just think that there's no point because Google has such a, it's such a constricting experience. There's no real benefit right now, at least, or I don't believe ever there will be a benefit to, um, to these custom ROMs on a watch. Why go through that hassle? It just sounds like a terrible, onerous experience. Because there's someone right now who's trying to satisfy the lifelong dream of having like a Dick Tracy skin on their Android wear. And that's but you why they do gonna, that because Android is a platform for people who like to fiddle. I feel in my, my super biased opinion. Um, I just think that when it's coming to like, like super lockdown, dedicated use case of like, what's the one thing I want to be seeing on my wrist right now? Those micro engagements that are highly contextual and always useful. That's not something that you tinker with. Well, especially since the watch relies so heavily on the phone itself. If you have a phone with custom software talking to a wrist watch with custom software, then you have the potential for your watch to crash. Mm -hmm. I never want my watch to crash. At the very least, my watch should always be able to tell the time. And I just think that it's to Here's nobody's the idea, benefit. The idea of that in a form of a sense, like it's taken 2000 years for us to get the technology to crash our watches. It's amazing. <laughs> but okay, so let's move on. Let's move on to some apps that are ready right now that we saw in the past week that were interesting or worth talking about. Um, yes. So this is, uh, we're, we want to talk about apps because everybody uses them and everybody loves them. And we want to focus on some great apps in a showcase. Um, so what, what have you been using this week? What, what piqued your fancy? Uh, well, in, in actually in a really, this, this is kind of weird. The app that I used the most this week was probably Twitter simply because, uh, you were talking about the World Cup before. I, it's, it's one of the best ways to experience the World Cup other than the amazing job that the CBC has done with their digital broadcasting and with NBA free agency. I feel like I've spent more time reading tweets about sporty things and talking to people about that than anything else. Just the, the level of conversation going on. So that's actually the app that I use most. The app that I'm most maybe excited for, uh, we wrote about yesterday, uh, Minecraft Pocket Edition. Just got a major, 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 major update. Um, just stuffed with so much more Minecraft. And this is interesting not only because, you know, we've, we've talked about gaming and mobile gaming before and the difficulties that, um, developers have in the app stores with exposure, um, trying to find a, uh, monetize their game design, uh, issues with, uh, uh, competitors coming in, palette swapping, uh, a popular design and making more money than them. And then, you know, Minecraft just comes in, drops down in Android and iOS versions, and then they make over 20 mi $21 million in sales as of April, um, just from the mobile versions. And, it's and those aren't even complete, right? Like those aren't the same <laughs> versions as the ones you find on the on oh oh the PC. not even not even not even. So the the major update that came uh, yesterday or came yesterday, this week, whatever yeah. you're, you're listening to this, um, added a lot of stuff that is broadly available in in the PC realm. Um, 
new locations, different types of blocks, things like that. New tools for doing your own uh, building. Wolves. Hey, wolves. Um, wolves. So, and actually, if you look at the release information for both versions, they actually consider Minecraft Pocket Edition to be a, a 0.9 release. It's not even a 1.0. It's not even Minecraft 1.0. And it's made them $21 million in sales. Yeah. Um, but it's because it's, 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 it's a known brand with uh, a really addictive user base that's just chalked with fun stuff. Uh, and I, I, think it's, I think it's worth, if you haven't really got into Minecraft or you haven't really tried it, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if starting with the mobile experience is great, but if, if, you're, if you're a mobile person, is that, if that's how you get your game on, give it a try. Uh, it, it might be the the gateway drug into uh, just mining all those things. Well, to that end, you know, I I really or to that point rather, I went to a restaurant a few days ago, and a, a family came in. It was about six people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looked like two moms bringing their the two kids each uh, to dinner, and all four of them had tablets in front of them. All four children, and. Every single child was playing Minecraft. It was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. Because it's just building their brains. I don't even think they see it as a game. I think it's it's like their other, you know, they're in the meat space, but it's their blocky matrix. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, it's super easy to create something unique, and they share ideas off one another. And now, it, you know, this new update comes with infinite worlds, caves, uh, wolves, wolves. Loads of flowers. I mean, like, these are blocks, <laughs> yes. and you have to pretend basically what they are, but the potential here for creativity is so huge, and I love that kids play this game. I love so much that they're spending this, uh, their time spending uh, playing this rather than some mindless shooter. Yeah. Uh, even though there is value to that, I don't think that, you know, you're engaging your creative side as much when you're playing Call of Duty when as, as when you're playing something like Minecraft. If so they're gonna, you know, if they're going to burn through their retinas uh, just staring at a screen all day like we do, uh, let it be for something that, uh, you know, in, instills some sort of sense of creativity and exploration. It's, it's really interesting, too, because you look at... The, the, Minecraft is essentially digital Legos. It's like it's the mm-hmm. digital Lego MMO. Um, and you, you contrast that to the still popular and highly successful... Lego games, which are fun and cute and licensed IP uh, platformers, essentially, but don't have, don't capture what it is that's so cool about Legos, which is like building a world and then like, you know, cons- just constructing this really cool thing and then destroying it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yes, uh, Minecraft Pocket Edition, it's really cool, great for kids. And it's available for iOS and Ant- unless they're driving, yes. <laughs> Um, available for iOS and Android. Yes, for it's six you know, bucks, seven yeah, bucks. It's it's you're actually paying money for this game, but I think pretty much every Minecraft user would tell you that it's worth it. And it's yeah. also um, I can't remember the term, but uh, if you buy it for any Android device, it's available for all. So if you happen to have a tablet as well, um, oh yeah, I see a lot of That's... kids just going just going to town to Minecraft on a tablet. Yeah, I mean that's par for the course these days. So, Minecraft, that's, uh, that's a great choice. Uh, my choice is free, and it's multi-platform. It's called Sunrise Calendar. Now, I'm obsessed with keeping 
uh, organized. And Sunrise has become my go-to calendar. It's beautiful. It's really functional. It recently came out for Android. I'd use it on iOS earlier. It also recently came out for the web. So there's a Chrome extension and there's a uh, just a, like a, a responsive web app uh, at sunrise.am. And it hooks into your existing calendars. So you can use Google, you can use iCloud, you can use Exchange, I believe. Uh, there's great search functionality. And it's also social. So it can plug into Twitter, Facebook, Productive, if you're, uh, if you want to, you know, use your existing task manager with it, uh, you, it can plug into LinkedIn to find out more information about your, your upcoming meetings, who you're going to be working with, talking to. Uh, it can automatically dial into conferences, things like that. I mean, it's pretty standard social calendar features, but other than the newly release up to and, uh, any dues cal, Sunrise is basically the best free social calendar that supports every platform, uh, at least the major two mobile platforms and the uh, the web. And I, it's beautiful. And it's ad-free. I don't know how they're going to monetize it, but it's a startup right now. And that's my go-to calendar on iOS and Android. Download it and give it a try. So I gave everyone a game and you gave them a calendar. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the boring one of the two. Of us, so that's okay. I'm fine. I'm ugly and I'm boring, but at least my audio quality is better this year, or You're this fine. week rather. <laughs> Hopefully, all right. Well, we uh, we're up to about an hour and fifteen minutes, I think. So if you are still here, thank you for sticking around. Uh, this has been a great, I hope, episode of Syrupcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'd like to thank Doug Soltis, my partner in crime, and uh, we will see you next week. Shout out to T-Bay. Yes, thanks for watching, everybody in Thunder Bay. Hope the weather is as good up there as it is in Toronto this morning. Have a great uh, Friday, everybody.